This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Noon Business Hour presented by the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Jim Good. This will be a huge weekend for road travel, but getting fuel might be a challenge. We'll cover that in our next segment. Right now, fresh reports on home prices and consumer confidence out today. And we're joined by Carl Tenenbaum, the chief economist at Northern Trust here in Chicago. So, Carl, what are these numbers? And especially when it comes to home prices, I guess the word is wow. House prices certainly are heading upward at a, a rapid pace. As you know, Jim, the three most important things in real estate are location, location, location. Uh, we are seeing some areas uh, profit at the expense of others. I think uh, the change in working uh, patterns has made exurbs a little bit more popular than some city centers. But I think overall, uh, conditions are very, very good for house prices. We have an economy that seems to be rebounding very quickly. We have very low mortgage interest rates. We have consumers with uh, large amounts of excess savings from the course of the last 12 months, and that's uh, making a home purchase very attractive. How are consumers feeling these days? Uh, uh, buoyant is probably the, the best way I, I can tell it. The reading from the conference board was a very high level, much higher than expected. And it's not unusual. Just in the last two months, uh, Jim, I think you would agree the progress we've made on vaccination, the rapid upgrading in the uh, situation of public health, the reduced risk that has allowed many more of us to get out and about and do more things, that that has almost lifted a lid, if you want to say, on both our attitudes and our, our movements. And uh, people are certainly very happy to be getting back to doing the things that they did prior to the pandemic. So, Carl, with home prices up, consumer confidence up, what are we looking at in terms of what we should expect moving forward as we go through the pandemic recovery? Jim, this quarter is going to be uh, a peak. We have the perfect combination of pent-up demand, pent-up saving, and economic reopening. We'll carry a lot of that momentum through the summer. Hopefully, we'll see a carryover this Friday, as you know. We'll see an updated report on America's employment situation. We're expecting another big cache of jobs to be uh, replaced after uh, losing them during the pandemic. Those folks will have their incomes restored, which should also add to the spending stream. So when you all add it all up, Jim, our expectation is that this could be the best economic growth year for the United States in almost 70 years. Is there anything we need to be concerned about? Absolutely. Uh, listen, we are feeling very confident about our control of the coronavirus, but there are variants that are out there that might continue to challenge us and may have us uh, going back to being just a little bit more cautious. I'd be more comfortable if I saw a more well-rounded rebound. There are still about 8 million people who were working prior to the pandemic who aren't working today for various reasons. And I think a more complete employment recovery is something that I'd welcome. And that's also something that the Federal Reserve, which is setting interest rates, has identified as an objective. 
That's Carl Tannenbaum, the Chief Economist at Northern Trust here in Chicago. Carl, always great insight from you. Thanks for joining us. Coming up, why a trip to the gas station this weekend could turn out to be a waste of time. The best daily deal in Chicago, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. The gasoline situation is looking a little iffy in both price and supply this Independence Day weekend. And we get the latest from an old friend here, Patrick DeHaan, Senior Petroleum Analyst at GasBuddy.com in Chicago. So what's going on with uh, gasoline supplies and prices and possible shortages as we head into a big travel weekend, Patrick? Well, thankfully for few, uh, there won't be any, uh, or I should say for most of us, you won't notice anything. Um, what we are contending with is a continued labor challenge, as mentioned by your previous guests, simply not enough people in the workforce, and many gas stations contending with a shortage of tanker truck drivers. And so while there are uh, a significant amount of gasoline being produced, only 3% below all-time record highs in terms of gasoline production, it's about getting it to the station as quickly as Americans are filling up. And so some Americans may contend with stations that for a couple of hours run out of fuel, maybe a little bit longer than that, depending on the situation. But uh, there is plenty of fuel for all of us this summer. Is there any advice heading into the weekend of uh, things that might make things a little easier for folks or things that might uh, help them save some money maybe? Well, certainly saving some money, as I did over the weekend. Uh, Illinois tends to be the hot spot in the Midwest for the highest gas prices. If you're headed on the road this July 4, you could probably save 20 to 50 cents a gallon by heading north or east into Indiana to Wisconsin. Uh, that tends to be where far cheaper prices are. But uh, we shouldn't sweat uh, fuel availability this summer. Like I said, labor challenges are mounting to some issues that you may see surface, but it's going to be few and far between. You touched on it a bit. Let's go past the 4th of July and into this summer. Uh, what are we expecting in terms of the situation with gasoline? Supply, prices, all of that? Well, supply is very good. Uh, refiners are churning out uh, a product at, at, like I said, just 3% under record level last week, according to the EIA. So that's a very good thing. Uh, what they should expect this summer, though, oil production has dragged because of what happened last year with low price and low demand. So U.S. oil production is significantly lagging its pre-COVID level. We're at about 11 million barrels a day. We were at 13.3, and that's why oil prices have escalated up to about $75 a barrel. Call it 73, actually, now. Oil's given up some of its gains, but oil prices remain high because demand has rebounded faster than supply. Is this a price point thing where as the price goes up, we're going to see an increase in domestic production because it just becomes more practical to do it at that point? You know, we are seeing some uptick, uh, but the shale producers have been have been very disciplined not to open the spigot up too quickly and risk one of these variants coming in and just destroying what they've, they've accomplished. Uh, the U.S. rig count is up 205 oil rigs from a year ago, so that's certainly a good sign. But again, shale producers are being very disciplined, knowing uh, that a variant could come in and knock out meaningful progress. And that's the attitude from OPEC as well, who is meeting this week to discuss oil production levels as well. That's Patrick DeHaan, the Senior Petroleum Analyst at GasBuddy.com here in Chicago. Always great insight from you, Patrick. Thanks. Up next, fixing the kinks in the supply chain. Loaning useful information each weekday. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. We're seeing shortages of items ranging from fireworks to microchips to chicken wings due to issues with the supply chain. And joining us on the McGrath Lexus business line is 
Douglas Kent, the Executive Vice President, Association for Supply Chain Management in Chicago. And uh, who better to ask, what in the world's going on with all these shortages, Douglas? <laughs> well, I think we're in the midst of what we might deem a perfect storm or not so perfect storm. Um, we have obviously all of the demand shifts that were still resulting from the pandemic and those imbalances of demand along with geopolitical issues and more importantly, just massive massive network disruption at the ports and drivers and et cetera, just in terms of transport and warehousing capabilities. So what needs to be done is some of the uh, answers might seem obvious, but what needs to be done to get us right in terms of our supply chain? So we're not seeing shortages like these. Well, I think everybody has come to the common conclusion that resiliency is the answer. The difficulty is senior executives of organizations are just not sure how to proceed to achieve that. Is there a smart strategy here? Is there a way that uh, companies can either maximize uh, their results in terms of getting deliveries or uh, minimize the effects of not getting what they need in time? Yeah, well, one of I mean, there's no there's no you know, silver bullet answer here. But the reality of it is there are some themes where in terms of achieving resiliency, you need some some things to be in place. And one of those is clearly visibility throughout the entire supply chain ecosystem. And that lack of visibility has been, you know, pronounced as one of the biggest contributors to not being able to achieve resiliency overall. So, you know, we're very good at, at the firefighting but the fire prevention is, is a much more strategic approach. Our, our most recent study with the Economic Intelligence Unit clearly revealed that resiliency has a dependency on this visibility, and most organizations simply don't have it. And the chip shortage is probably one of the best examples of that. Just real quick, what are some other things that maybe we don't realize are in short supply because of this? I mean, chips we hear about all the time, but what else are we looking at right now that's uh, in short supply because of all of this? Well, workforce, to be honest. I mean, we could talk about commodities like lumber and chip shortages and potential impacts to petrol and some of those things. But the reality of it is, as we work to scale up coming out of the pandemic, I think workforce development is going to be our biggest challenge. Imagine that you're an organization that requires additional warehouse space in the Chicagoland area, for example. And I've got the space secured in order to, to scale my growth, but I don't have the workforce to, to work in the warehouse or to provide transportation capabilities. That's Douglas Kent, the Executive Vice President, Association for Supply Chain Management here in Chicago. Thank you, sir. Still ahead on Travel Tuesday, making sure you're ready to go to an alternative plan should things not go as planned when you're away. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Jim Goodis. These are the top stories on WBBM. A grand jury investigation is expected in the deadly collapse of a Florida condominium building. The withdrawal of American troops from Afghanistan is nearly complete. In Travel Tuesday, making sure your next trip goes smoothly by having a plan B in place. A survey finds a vast majority of workers are thinking about changing jobs in the wake of the pandemic. On Wall Street, the Dow up 36, the S&P 500 up 3, the Nasdaq is ahead by 21 points. AccuWeather says where you have a flash flood watch in effect through 7 tonight. We'll have off and on rain through the afternoon as we head up to 81. And then we'll have mostly cloudy, warm conditions with a thunderstorm in some places tonight and a low of 71. Right now, under partly sunny skies, it's 76 at O'Hare. 
Noon Business Hour, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. It's 1231. The White House says President Biden and First Lady Jill Biden will travel to Surfside, Florida on Thursday to visit the site of the collapsed condominium tower. This Miami-Dade County Mayor Daniela Levine Cava. He's going to spend time with the families who are affected and with our first responders. Levine Cava says she supports a grand jury probe into the Champlain Towers South disaster. The number of confirmed deaths stands at 11, with 150 people still unaccounted for. The last U.S. soldiers are sent to leave Bagram Air Force Base in Afghanistan as America winds down what's called by some the forever war. It was the heart of American military power in Afghanistan, a symbol of the U.S. drive to avenge the 9-11 attacks. But now the U.S. is leaving Bagram Air Base, about an hour's drive north of Kabul. Villagers say they hear explosions from inside the base, apparently the Americans destroying buildings and material. They are giving the Afghan military some weaponry. One scholar at the Wilson Center points to the American urgency to get out quickly, calling it sadly symbolic. Another expert with the Foundation for the Defense of Democracy says closing Bagram is a major symbolic and strategic victory for the Taliban. I'm Rita Foley. You know the Odyssey app not only has nonstop news from WBBM, but now hundreds of new exclusive music stations, including one called Jugger Yacht, featuring music that's melodic. So come sail away with the Odyssey app. It's 1233. Discussing the news affecting your money, the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Markets are a little higher, and we're joined by Jim Welsh, the macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios in San Diego. So what's going on today on Wall Street? <laughs> well, prices are fluctuating, Jim. Uh, no, in a more serious vein, I try to combine fundamental analysis and technical analysis. So from a, a technical perspective, what's been happening over the last few weeks is the S&P uh, 500 and the NASDAQ composite and 100 have been pushing to new higher highs. But if you look at the Dow Jones Industrials, Transportation Average, Russell 2000, they're failing to make new highs. And it's, I'm using the analogy of a car. When all the pistons in our car are moving together, it's smooth sailing. But when some of the pistons start to misfire, it gets a little bumpy. And typically, when you're nearing a trend change, whether it's near a top or a bottom, some of the pistons start misfiring, and that's what's happening with the major averages. So I think we're nearing a high. I've been looking for 42.90 to 43.15 on the S&P. We're basically there. And so technically, Jim, I think we're getting some warning signs that the market is uh, vulnerable to a pullback of maybe 7 to 10%. What advice would you have for people in terms of preparing for this and uh, making sure they're in the best position to address what may happen? Well, I believe fundamentally that uh, Chair Powell is going to be right about base effects peaking and then coming down. But the real rub is going to be core inflation, Jim, that I think is going to continue to hold above 3% for the balance of this year. At some point in time, I think markets are going to realize that dichotomy and that the Fed pays more attention to core inflation. And I think Treasury yields, the 10-year Treasury yield will rise uh, from the 150 area that it currently is trading in up to 185 to 2%. And when that happens, I think the mega cap stocks are going to be vulnerable to a pullback, uh, the cyclical stocks also. So in other words, we've seen a lot of rotation 
over the last few months. I think if I'm right about rates spiking higher, uh, that we'll see all the sectors kind of move down simultaneously. I think once that correction is done, the odds favor that we'll see a rebound in the S&P and the market will go to new high. So, you know, I, I would not be telling people that, boy, you really should aggressively lighten up. If you got some big gains, take a small portion of it uh, so you can redeploy some money if I'm right about a 7 to 10% pullback. So kind of a little bit of a wait and see, maybe some retrenching, but, but not, not too much in the way of dramatic movement. I don't think so. The advanced decline line continues to make new highs. That's a longer term plus. The economy is still going to be growing okay as we get into next year. I just think there's a, a risk-off window coming if Treasury yields rise, as I think uh, is likely. I'm, I would think I'm wrong if the 10-year closes below 1.3%. So as long as that doesn't happen, the price pattern in the 10-year looks like it wants to run up to the, uh, the 190 to 2% range. That's Jim Welsh, the macro strategy and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios in San Diego. By the way, his website, macrotides.com. Up next to Travel Tuesday, making sure you have a contingency plan for possible disruptions during that holiday trip. Investing 60 minutes each weekday toward planning for the future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Travel Tuesday. Not everything is guaranteed to go right on a trip, especially in a pandemic world. So it's important to be ready to pivot. And joining us on the McGrath-Lexus Business Line is Cindy Richards, the editor-in-chief of TravelingMom.com here in Chicago. So I guess it's a good idea, Cindy, to have a plan B ready if you're uh, thinking about going traveling uh, either this week for vacation or perhaps for the holiday weekend. Absolutely. Boy, if we learned nothing, you know, it, this is the this is not the time for traveling the way I really like to travel, which is spontaneous. You know, get in the car, drive until you're tired, and then, uh, you know, see where's the, you know, stop at the side of the road and, and find a hotel. You can't do that the, these days because the hotels are booked. Um, so you want to make reservations before you go just to ensure that you're going to have a place to sleep when you get there at night. So if if you haven't done that, if you haven't made reservations yet, and there's a chance that maybe accommodations are filled up or uh, you might not get to go where you're thinking of going or even doing that spontaneous travel you talk about, what is your advice for people who maybe are thinking about doing something but haven't quite planned it yet? Well, I think it's time to let your fingers do the walking and start Googling around and see what you can find. You know, um, even the national parks, that's where everyone wants to be these days, to be outside and socially distant and in the fresh air. But even the national parks, the big ones, are asking people to make reservations so that they can limit uh, capacities at, you know, the big attractions within the park, like Old Faithful at um, Yellowstone. You can't just go there without a reservation these days. So figure out where you want to go. Um, get online, check what the what the reservation requirement is, and um, and then make a plan before you go. And I think you even even after you've done that, you need to have a plan B. So if you know you're going to go to Yellowstone, um, find out where the town outside of Yellowstone is that you're going to be able to stay in. You know, Cody is a really small town and has limited facilities, limited capacities. And we all know that restaurants and hotels have had a hard time staffing up. So you want to pack your patients. 
because chances are there's not going to be somebody to carry your luggage to the room. Um, You may not even want the housekeeping to come in every day and make your bed if you want to try and stay socially distanced. So it's it's going to be a slightly different sort of travel experience than you might be used to. Let's look forward past uh, the holiday weekend. And I imagine it would be a great idea that, you know, maybe you can't do exactly what you'd like to do for the holiday weekend, but now would be a great time to look at the rest of the summer and see what would be the best way to handle travel, you know, from here till, till say, uh, uh, Labor Day. Well, I'll tell you, traffic to TravelingMom.com is up um, at the same level it always is in the summer. Um, So what we know is that families want to find a way to get away, and they are interested in looking for places that they can go. You know, maybe um, last year uh, when you just had to get out of the house, you were doing a day trip. People are willing to, to travel a little farther afield and maybe take short trips nearby. You know, you, you just want to find the, the lesser traveled ones. I mean, I would be Googling least attended uh, national parks right now to try and get an idea of where are people not going. So there's a good chance that you can go there. Um, you can spread out. You can get in without having problems. You can park when you get there. You can find a hotel. All of the things that you need um, to have a good travel experience. And, you know, the really interesting thing that we have found, actually, this was true throughout the pandemic, um, our most popular story on the site was uh, the 17 countries that are great for families, so have, that are really welcoming, welcoming to children. And right now, our number one story is what to do if your expedited passport does not arrive in time. So what that says to me is people are ready to go. They want to see the world again. Um, and my tip, if you haven't, pull out your passport and check the uh, expiration date because it's also taking longer to get passport renewals these days. All those tips and more can be found at TravelingMom.com. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. A survey by JobSite Monster finds 95% of workers are at least considering a job change in the aftermath of the COVID crisis. And let's examine the reasons with Rick Cobb, the executive vice president of Keystone Partners in Chicago. So people considering a job change at a time when there seem to be a lot of jobs out there, uh, Let's let's start first with uh, why people are looking at if they have a job changing it. Sure. So the interesting thing about the human condition is we don't like change, but we're also quite adaptable. So if in in pre-pandemic we would go to work, we would we would commute, we would uh, wear the appropriate clothes, etc., uh, spend the time back and forth because that's what we were used to. We've had two years of an enforced change, and now that's become what we're used to. So now we realize there are other things besides the commute and changing and the work environment, uh, family, uh, the physical risk involved in some of the jobs that exist. So we're now in a situation where things are inverted, and at the same time, there are opportunities to do something other than what you had to do before the pandemic. What's the advice for people if they are thinking about changing or looking for a new job? What would you recommend? Well, there's a couple of things that people have to pay attention to. You think about the idea of the theoretical, what you would like to do versus the reality. I use the analogy of finding a $100 bill on the sidewalk. Someone you could ask and they'd say, oh, I would try to find out whose that was and make sure they got it back. If they actually found it, I'm not sure that the results would be the same. So the theory of, of, leaving your job, you have to spend some time examining why is it that you want to leave? Are you just flat burned out? 
have, have, is it is it really the job or is it just the general uh, overall experience of having been in this uh, sort of ad- additional stressful time? And then what's your the reality of your ability to go out and replace that job with something that would be in whatever way you want to measure it better? It's sort of like people say, I want to retire in Florida. And what's, what psycholo- psychologists will tell you as often is they don't really want to retire in Florida. They want to be in Florida right now. Uh, there's a big difference between a permanent change and a vacation. What advice would you have for employers both to keep folks that might be thinking of leaving and attracting those who uh, they could certainly use to fill some vacancies? You know, bluntly, I'll say this. I could take almost anyone's job that they say they love and and make it a horrible job with one change. And that's the people that they work with, particularly the person they report to. People don't quit companies. They quit uh, the environment and the people that they work for. And there needs to be on the part of businesses tradition, a, a real emphasis on understanding their employee population, what they want, what they're interested in, not just expecting that uh, the uh, they can pay them enough to stay because there are jobs that you won't do regardless of pay. And so there has to be more of a culture. If you think about it, there aren't many companies that people will look at today and say, I wish I worked for X company. Uh, Yet if you go back 20, 30 years ago, you probably would have had, I wish I worked for IBM, or I wish you you would have had those companies that you would name. Now it's become more about the function and the role, and do I matter in that organization? And and businesses need to understand that and, and pay attention to it. That's Rick Cobb, the Executive Vice President of Keystone Partners here in Chicago. You'll find past programs and later today a podcast of this hour at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.